blessed October Sabbath as we come to you and we continue our study on our mission. And we come to you as we stare into the abyss of a space that is difficult. Uh, we think about the world that you and I have been called to inhabit. And we think about how often we seem insulated from what happens around the world. This has been a difficult week, uh, and so we, we are going to ask for prayers for this world that we choose to believe is still in God's hands. Hmm. We refuse to enter into <clears throat> the slippery slope of politics and policy, and we just we think about God's daughters and sons. So as we as we as we invite you to just pray silently with us, you know, we also want you to remember uh, the people who are suffering, uh, both in Israel and on the West Bank. Um, we often seem to move from crises to crises, and so the newness and the immediacy of this makes us forget what still continues to happen in places like Ukraine, in uh, places like Western Africa. So we, we're going to simply pray, um, and we're going to ask for God to fill, fill the silence in the spaces that exist between us, because perhaps that is the best way in which we can fulfill our mission. So why, why don't you pray with us? And so, God, we think about the world, about your world, and about your creation, and about how much you weep and hurt. And we don't know what to say. We only can pray that your spirit fill. Mm -hmm the moments and the spaces where we are forced into silence. For we pray in your name. Amen. How are you, Joey? Welcome, welcome. We continue our study on mission. Yeah, thank you, Miguel, for leading us through that time of prayer. I know this has been, um, so much has changed since the last time we, we met yeah. and we spoke and um, just war in the Middle East. And then there's other things like earthquake hitting Afghanistan. There's, um, I know uh, I have family in Guam. They're preparing, they prepared for another typhoon to hit them. It's just, wow, from crisis to crisis, you're exactly right. Mm. Yeah. And which is why it's more imperative than ever that we understand our role in all of this mess, right? So yeah, I'm looking forward to doing this yeah, discussion that's, with you. That's a great segue, isn't it? Um, from crises to crises, and yet we are we are consistent amidst the crises, and I think that's that's why we're here. Uh, mm -hmm. That's why it's so comforting. Uh, that's why uh, on Shabbat today, mm -hmm. synagogues across not only our country but but in Israel are full of people. That is why yesterday, um, the call to prayer uh, for our Islam, for our Muslim brethren was answered like few times because there is something about the consistency of places and houses of worship um, that make us navigate crises better. And so here we are uh, with you <laughs> and consistent as always. Uh, talking about uh, our lesson, which has us focus on Matthew 28, which is known as the Great Commission. Yeah, yeah. I love that, that 
despite everything that's happening, um, our mission is still the same, mm. right? Mm. And not just as described in Jesus's great commission, but from like we talked about last week, that it it has its foundation in God mm -hmm. be before the start of time, that mm -hmm. this is a continuation of God's mission that he gave to humanity. And then he He came to reiterate when he came in person and then he gave to his disciples again. But it's all the same mission that flows mm -hmm. from, from the very beginning. Now, the lesson does make a good point of that, right? Yeah. It talks, <clears throat> we don't want to get too theological because at least in my mind, as we think about spaces and places, and um, I might or might not, depending on how much time we share, we have uh, share some things that, that are on my heart uh, in our own tribe, Adventism, as uh, our church, you know, has coming back from annual council. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the, one of the things that, that we, we need to focus on, and that the lesson does a good job focusing on, is that the mission is connection. Mm -hmm. um, Without getting into all the, the the mystery that is that is the Trinity, it does seem like within that perfect harmony that, that exists with in God's being, uh, the mission has to do with connection. Mm -hmm. And so I think we we probably ought to understand or ought to begin by asking ourselves the question: How well are we connecting? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's a question that I'm excited to to maybe ponder with with you for the next couple minutes here yeah i love that 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 mission is connecting and you made a great point about the advent adventist god mm -hmm. right not the god of the seventh day adventists but the god who comes mm -hmm. the god who is always seeking to be with mm -hmm. us which is why he created humanity mm -hmm. from the very beginning why um, I think the lesson does a great job of saying that that foundation of relationship begins with the Trinity, mm -hmm. right? It started that God himself is in community, mm -hmm. um, which is a beautiful message. If you take time to, to, to express that, that, that God, that from the beginning, before there was anything else, God himself from eternity past was in community. And that, that is a beautiful picture. And everything else flows from that love that God had um, it outflows into a connection, into a desire to create community outward. Mm -hmm. And and his commission for us, the Great Commission, is for us to continue to expand that community, to connect people to God and to each other uh, once again. And I think that's what's so powerful, right? The, the actual question of asking, first off, and I think you're, you're making uh, a great point here, how connected are we to God? Mm. And then moving our gaze towards the world in which we inhabit, and then asking ourselves the question, how connected are we to one another? Mm -hmm. And I find for me that um, the way in which you express connectedness is through conversation. Mm. And I think that's why Jesus spends so much time talking about prayer on his in his earthly ministry. Yeah. Um, because I think that is the way in which you continue nurturing that connection that you have with, with God. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That prayer, that conversation is how we connect with each other and conversation with God through prayer is how we mm. connect with him, mm -hmm. which is, and, and you see that with, with his, the daily patterns of his life, it's reflected over and over through the gospels. You know, I don't know, it's not something that you would think would take such a prominent role in the gospels when you compare it to like miracles he performed right. or sermons that he 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 wrote but um i've been reading a book called the ruthless elimination of hurry, of hurry. yeah and he makes the point that it's not just about learning about the life of Jesus, but about the lifestyle mm -hmm. of Jesus, right? He says, if you want to have the life of Jesus, you have to emulate the lifestyle mm -hmm. of Jesus. And what you see in the pattern of Jesus's life is that he made spaces for communication and relationship, that he took time away. Like Jesus could have been the busiest man alive, but and yet he created spaces where he mm -hmm. would say, 
there's so much work to do, but we this is more important. We need to create spaces for community. We need spaces for connection because ultimately he understood that that was the mission. The mission wasn't to go out and perform as many miracles as possible or to preach as many sermons as possible or to get his message out as widely as possible. As important as those things were, he understood that his mission was connection and that repairing that connection, ultimately what he would do at the end of his earthly life to to repair that Mm. connection as well that's yeah john mark comer in in that book that you're mentioning makes i think makes that point painfully evident uh to those of us who think that we are too busy yeah um in in that he says that you know the rhythms of of jesus's life kind of go against the ideas that we have for what success looks like where we're all about seizing the moment yeah. uh jesus is all about retreating and if you if you think about it uh i think it is it is again that need for connection with his father Mm -hmm. that that continues to stoke the embers of his connections with with both his disciples and the people he ministers to Mm -hmm. i find something really interesting about what what Jesus is doing in those moments where where he retreats and that is that and this isn't I wish I wish I were this brilliant this is not my idea this is uh Eugene Peterson Peterson talks about Jesus is praying in the pat in the middle voice mm. and I think that's really really thoughtful thoughtfully articulated and it links very much so um, with with our idea of mission. And so, you know, Joey, in the Greek language, there are three modalities of speaking, mm-hmm. right? There's the active voice where you are um, the doer of the action. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the passive voice where you receive uh, or are acted upon. But then there's a middle voice. <clears throat> in the middle voice, what actually... Uh, happens is you both you initiate um, or you you participate and you receive Hmm. but your participation and your reception is always linked to an action that is ongoing Hmm. Um, and so I I think Peterson is brilliant in saying that this is how we ought to pray because a lot of us pray passively Hmm. Um, we pray uh, for God to intervene and for God uh, to change some some situations, and I think there's a lot of validity in that in those prayers. There's some of us also uh, that pray for courage or for strength mm-hmm. that we might start being the change that is happening in the world. We kind of have these prayers of just um, God is God is this this source of energy and power and confidence and if we can tap into that then we can be change agents in the world and i think there's space for for that type of prayers as well Mm. but neither of those prayers are the kind of prayers that jesus prayed Hmm. Uh, jesus prayed uh, these prayers that are beginning with acts by asking what is god already up to Hmm. um and then asking for ways in which uh asking uh for the capacity to to join God in what God is already doing. Yeah. And I think I think that's when you're thinking about the Great Commission, I think that's the invitation uh, that Jesus makes to his disciples. It is an invitation to live spirituality, mm. to live m- missiology in the middle voice. Mm. Wow, wow. That is, that's really powerful. I hadn't heard that before. Um, I hadn't heard Eugene Peterson talk about that before, but that is very powerful that it is, it is this partnership that Mm -hmm. you're saying, um, in engaging in prayer and working out in, in the world is a partnership where we are, like you, you talked about last week, where we look for where God is leading and join him in Mm -hmm. his endeavors. It's not him just um, cheering from the back seat, and it's not us cheering from the back seat. It's us out in the field mm-hmm. together, serving together. That's that's beautiful. I love that imagery that mm-hmm. you're sharing. The middle voice. Yeah, yeah, that's it's mission from the middle voice, mm-hmm. and that is original with me. Peterson yeah. talks about it in the context of prayer. Yeah. But again, I think prayer has to do 
with it part prayer is part of the mission mm. um and then you get to you get to matthew 28 which we all know so well mm. and i i just thought about it in in such different ways uh thinking about this idea that you're saying where you're both in the field you're working by the way what an honor that is to mm. work side by side with god in yeah. the field or to be uh co-pilots with God, or as uh, using Pauline language, co-heirs with, with, uh, with God. Matthew 28, mm. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I find that a really interesting way to start, mm -hmm. uh, to start mission. Um, what do you think about that, that introduction? I'm kind of curious because I, I know we've read the therefore part yeah. a lot, but the therefore hinges on the all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I know it, it's kind of funny if you think about if you if you're imagine that Jesus is God, right? So if Jesus is God, he already should have the authority, mm. right? Like he can step in and say this is and yet I think the lesson does a great job of this talking about how Jesus always took that frame of reference of, I can do nothing without the Father, mm -hmm. right? Um, there are passages listed in John, you know, throughout that that lesson. Um, my food, Jesus says, John 4, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. 5.30, my, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Mm -hmm. And then um, John 12, 45, the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. Mm -hmm. So this this idea that Jesus is saying that that he does nothing without his father's will. Mm -hmm. And that's such a strange imagery when you think of Jesus being God. And yet if Jesus is doing that, how much more should we? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's living. And I think I thought about Peterson uh, because it's living from the middle voice. Yeah. It's doing mission from the middle voice. Jesus is, is saying, authority has been passive, right? Authority has been given uh, to me. And therefore, and it's, it's a really interesting connection where it seems like Jesus is saying, look, I, right, who throughout uh, the gospel stories mm. am represent, I am presenting myself as the incarnation and the fulfillment of every good thing that God has promised to humanity. Mm. I am asking the question, what is God doing? Mm. So shouldn't we then be, be humble in beginning by asking the question as opposed to developing uh, the program or the plan. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, I thought, what a wonderful example of doing mission from the middle voice, beginning uh, with a spirit of humility and with a spirit of inquisitiveness. Mm. Um, and I, I think curiosity yeah. is, is such an undervalued tool in, in our spiritual walk. I think uh, we could avoid a lot of pain um, both to ourselves and to other people, if we Im engage in a bit more curiosity as part of our spiritual walk. Yeah, and our mission. <laughs> I love that mission from the middle voice. Um, because we are so eager sometimes to go that we skip this part of the passage, right? We're like, okay, Jesus told us to go, so let's go. And yet we forget that actually even for the disciples, they were told the first thing they were told to do was wait, mm -hmm. right? He gives them this commission, but when he leaves, he tells them, wait, wait for the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. to come upon you. Wait until you, you understand the whole, where the Holy Spirit is already le mm -hmm. leading and then go and speak. Mm -hmm. And you see that the disciples are sitting in the upper room in the beginning of the book of Acts mm -hmm. and they receive the Holy Spirit. And that's when they get empowered to go out and share the message with people whom God had already been moving on their hearts. Mm -hmm. That's that's the part that we, I sometimes neglect to see in in the Book of Acts because I, 
it's so easy to think, oh, it's because Peter preached such a powerful sermon Mm -hmm. that thousands of people came to follow Jesus, but that's not it at all, right? It's because God was moving on their hearts. God was already doing something there. And he's saying, wait, just wait, wait, wait for my signal. Wait until I, I, I have everything keyed up and started and ready for you and then go. Um, we talk about football a lot just because it's football season, but um, there's there's that un- underlauded skill when it comes to running backs, right? Mm-hmm. And that is the patience to wait. Wait for the hole. Yeah, because a lot of times with running backs, especially young running backs, they just wanna they just wanna go, mm-hmm. right? You hand them the ball, they just wanna shoot down the the, the sideline as fast as they can get and go and and get as far as they because. Logically, you think, oh, yeah, that would be the best way. If I run fast from the beginning, I'm going to get the most yardage. And yet it's not understanding that you are a part of a team. So you have to wait for your blocks to set up. You have to set, there's that term, set up your blocks, Mm -hmm. right? You kind of lean this way, make everybody flow this way, and then give your blockers a good chance to create a hole from you. And then you hit the Mm -hmm. hole, right? But you have to start by waiting to see what those blockers are doing. And and like any great blockers, that's what the Holy Spirit seems to do for us. He is the one who sets up the blocks. He's the one who sets up, say, just wait, just have a little patience. And when the time is right, I'll tell you when to go. So that actually, and that is such a, it's it's almost like we're simpatico at this moment. Because that is such a important thing that I think just jumped off the page to me. Hmm. And that is that we are part of a faith tradition that we love. I know both of both you and I uh, love Adventism deeply. We're not Pollyannish about Adventism. Adventism, we've said here many times, has its issues like any other faith tradition. Mm-hmm. But we have been traditionally a faith community that is very mission-oriented. Um, and that is, I think, a very positive thing uh, very laudable, uh, the thing that I'm proud of, and you should be proud of if you're an Adventist. But, there's always a but, <laughs> but I think sometimes we've we've misunderstood how the blocks, to, to use your analogy, flow. Um, because what what a lot of times we say is, if Jesus is not coming back, or if Jesus hasn't returned, it is because we have failed somehow, some way, uh, to actually appropriately perform the mission that has been entrusted to us. Mm-hmm. This isn't anything new. Um, the Jews believe that if they were able to keep the 600 and so laws that, uh, that were in uh, the Torah, they could, Messiah would come. So it's nothing new. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we've, we sometimes have either moved too slowly. Um, and I think uh, 1888 is a great example. Uh, 1919 is another great example of times where the church has, has, maybe moved a little too slowly, or sometimes we've moved too rapidly. Hmm. And so I, I'm really, really struck by this idea of timing, hmm. uh, that not only you do mission from the middle voice, but that all you also um, do mission with a keen awareness of the fact that we're not on our schedule, we're on God's schedule. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And I love how you point out that this isn't just about moving slowly, right? There are times when we need to wait and move slowly, but there are also mm-hmm. times, as you pointed out, that we do need to move rapidly, that God is saying go and we're we're still hesitating, mm-hmm. right? Usually because we're scared, <laughs> we lack the nerve or we're, <laughs> we don't have the courage to step into those spaces. Um and so then my question for you is, how do we know whether the time is ripe for us to step forward mm. or whether it's a time to stand back and wait, that we need to be listening more or times where we feel like this is the time mm. to go? How do, how do we know, um, especially as we navigate um, a ta- a, some challenging times in, in our church, in our culture, 
How do we know whether it's a time to step forward or a time to listen and wait? I think you go back to your analogy. <laughs> and I'm sorry uh, to those viewers that don't enjoy football. Um, I know that uh, we, we need to diversify our analogies, but this one really, I promise you, it works so well today. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I like the most is the fact that, yes, the running back waits, mm. but if you've, if you've seen enough football, um, and if for those of you who don't know, we'll do a little explanation, right? So the running back runs <laughs> and he has handed the ball. He's behind the line. So he has a line of blockers in front of him. And the purpose of the blockers is to kind of open up some holes, some running lanes, right? One of my favorite things, and I know you've seen this, is not just that the running back is waiting for the holes, but that the running back touches Mm. Uh, the back of whoever, uh, it's either the fullback or the tight end or a offensive lineman. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's this very gentle pat. And, <laughs> and, and it's almost like the touch is also guiding yeah. the, the whoever's blocking mm -hmm. uh, as to where to move. And so it's not just that, that uh, the running back is passive. Again, we're going to go back to this idea of the middle voice. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not just that the running back is active. The mm. running back is passive, but he's also participating. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we do. I think part of, of, of our problem is that we aren't in, I think, close enough connection with wow. God and with those whom we are called to go and make disciples of. Yeah. And if you don't have that that symbiotic connection with God and with those whom you are trying to disciple, mm. where you're waiting for them to block, but you're also patting them on, on the back and trying to, to drive them to where they need to go. If you don't have that, you're most likely going to miss the hole that is the running lane that is open mm -hmm. uh, before you. Wow. Wow. There's so much depth there. Um, and I love I love how we're doing football, even though I know, like Mikel was saying, uh, not all of you may be on board with, with football. But but I, I love this idea that it is this it's this feedback, mm -hmm. right, that you're doing that that it's not just waiting. Waiting is active. Mm -hmm. It's an active endeavor. Waiting means that we are actively listening. Mm -hmm. It's listening for what God is doing, mm -hmm. trying to watch and see where he is moving. So the waiting endeavor is not just like, oh, God will do something so I don't have to mm -hmm. do anything. It's actually looking for the opportunities mm -hmm. that God is setting up. And so those things you're saying that will become more evident to us, the moments we need to go will become more evident to us, the better we get at listening and reading what God, how God is moving. And not only that, you added this piece, and this is this is where maybe the analogy will break down a little bit, but there is this sense that you don't only, only read your blockers, you have to read the defense, mm -hmm. right? You have to read the defense and know what the defense, and so there's this idea that you have to understand what, what the people you are trying to reach, you have to understand them right. in order to be able to reach right. them. Now, where this, this analogy breaks down is this is not a competition like football is a competition you're trying to beat the other side this isn't sometimes we've approached mission like it's a competition and that has not been healthy so it's not us trying to beat the other team it is this idea of trying to understand so that we can communicate more effectively and move more effectively in what god is doing in their lives so this idea of waiting and listening as an active action that we do listening to god and i love this listening to the people that we are trying mm -hmm. to reach. When I think of the some of the first missionaries um, that came out of um, this great missionary movement in the you know the 1800s, um, early 1900s, with um, either there's a flood of missionaries that came out like William Carey, right? I mean, they made mistakes, but I I have to credit them with being able to go to foreign lands where they didn't know the culture they didn't they didn't know the language they didn't know they didn't have a way of existing and they had very little communication or support from the outside world they really had to get to know the people in order wow. to spread the message and that's something that they did and i think that's a powerful 
powerful piece that we sometimes forget and sometimes we neglect when we think well we grew up in the united states so we know the language and we know the we assume these things and yet in order to really reach people we have to step into their worlds mm -hmm. and i i so i love you bringing out that that dynamic of not just listening to god but also listening to the people we are to reach and once you listen i think you can fulfill the needs that people have better. Uh, Mother Teresa famously said when she was accepting her Nobel, uh, her Nobel Prize that she wasn't a social worker. Mm. Uh, she wasn't about social justice. Mm. She was about the gospel. And the gospel was social justice. Mm -hmm. And the gospel was social work. Wow. Um, and so I think... I think there is that malleability uh, to the message that we have once we do this, uh, what I like to call uh, priestly listening. Mm -hmm. uh, if you think about the role that, that priests had, um, it was to listen to the needs and the worries and the day-to-day -day preoccupations mm -hmm. uh, that the people whom they were entrusted with uh, dealt with. And then uh, they would bring those before God. So. Um, I, I I love this idea that that you're that you're pushing us towards, which is which is listening. And then, as you're thinking about the needs that you're fulfilling, it simply says, "Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them." Mm -hmm. And there's a lot, I think, of confusion hmm. uh, as to what baptism is or should be. Um, or how it should be understood. It seems here mm. that missionally, the purpose of baptism is to signify mm. an individual's desire to begin on this journey yeah. of discipleship, which as you mentioned, uh, and as John Mark Comer says in The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, is marked by learning how to live life in with the same practices that Jesus performed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if this is intentional by Jesus or not, um, or by Matthew or not, but it is interesting that baptizing precedes teaching, mm -hmm. which seems to sort of go against the way that we normally do this, right? We do the teaching before, the baptizing after, and very little teaching mm -hmm. after, right? right? Well, we do. I mean, there's sermons, there's, you know, we, we're expecting that they'll be involved in small groups and all of that, those support systems, mm -hmm. but we do a lot of very intentional teaching ahead of the baptism, um, almost like we feel like there is something that they need to, they have to understand um, enough before they can mm. be baptized. And I think there's some truth to this. You, if you're making a commitment, just like um, I, I often use the metaphor of a, a wedding to describe mm -hmm. um, to, to describe a baptism, right? There is, you have to get to know somebody in order to commit to, to marry them. However, a wedding only creates the possibility of a marriage. Mm -hmm. It doesn't it doesn't guarantee mm. the marriage, yes. right? Yes. It is the beginning of the marriage relationship. It is not the end, right? And sometimes I think we get that a little bit confused mm -hmm. and we think that I know that when I was younger, a lot I I I held back getting baptized for a long mm -hmm. time because I felt like oh, I hadn't fixed my life mm -hmm. enough for for me to be baptized. Yeah. And yet that is not really the picture of baptism in scripture at all. In scripture, baptism is the beginning of that, that journey with Christ. It's a commitment that we want to walk with him, but it's also recognizing there's a lot of brokenness in us still. We repent of that brokenness. We ask God to fix it, but it is a journey that we're going to be on um, as, as God leads us through that. And so there's going to be a lot of fallenness and brokenness and growth and understanding. I mean, if I... The way that I saw God at my baptism is definitely not the way I see God now. Right. And I'm, I'm thankful for that because it means that God has worked in my life and helped me to grow. Mm. So we're going to talk about then the elephant in the room. Mm. Um, it's, it's kind of hovering over here. And that is, um, for those of you, and I know some of you have texted or emailed uh, this past week asking about some of the things that happened at annual council, for those of you who follow these things. Mm -hmm. One of the most interesting things I think that, that at least I saw, was uh, there was a report made about uh, ad membership within the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Mm -hmm. And we know, right, we know, we've, I, don't, I don't think the numbers 
um, surprised anyone. I don't think the idea that 40% of people who we baptize are no longer in church. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't think that surprises people because people have eyes and people look at their church communities and they, I mean, they can remember and we can all remember people that, um, came with us into, into faith mm -hmm. and are no longer a part of, part of our communities. Yeah. I think what, what surprised me a bit um, or what continues to surprise me is kind of the antidote to the apathy uh, that follows baptism in a lot of our uh, hmm. our denominational conversations. Yeah. So what I hear, and maybe it's just my bias, and I'm I am open to being corrected, but what I hear is that we need to strengthen the teaching part in order to prevent people from leaving. That's kind of the message I hear mm. traditionally. And that might be, uh, just connected to what you were saying, that perhaps is one of the reasons why we've said, well, we, we need to really front load our, our studies before baptism. I don't remember there being as part of any baptismal curriculum hmm. a high intense a high intensity or an intense season of listening and we've talked mm. about listening a lot yeah. i wonder what the numbers would look like if we did a bit more listening hmm. uh, in our missions as opposed to thinking that the solution is front-loading uh, teaching, that the reason why people left, uh, I'm just going to say it clearly because this is how I've heard it voiced, that the reason people leave the Adventist church is because they haven't understood the doctrine well enough. Hmm. I think the reason people leave the Adventist church is because we haven't understood them. <laughs> and so I wonder if maybe um, there's another way of, combating that that apathy wow wow that is a that is a powerful reframing because yeah i i do think that is that that's the message that's out there is that um people leave because they don't understand doctrine well enough before they get baptized but that again it seems to be putting the cart mm -hmm. before the horse right mm -hmm. because um because it is our relationship with Jesus that un, that drives our understanding of who mm -hmm. he is. It's not that understanding of, so it, it kind of swaps things a little bit too much. Um, but yeah, I, I, what if we spent our time understanding the person, the people that we that were leading to Christ, and and helping them to be seen and heard. Mm -hmm. Actually, when you interview people who have, I mean, there has been studies, mm -hmm. right, about why people leave the church. Rarely is it because, at least with Adventist churches, rarely is it because they disagreed with the doctrines. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some, and it is becoming more and more in certain certain areas, but rarely is it because of that. It has to do with a lot to do with, nobody said hi to mm -hmm. me <laughs> mm -hmm. after a year and a half of attending this mm -hmm. church, they still thought I was a visitor, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. Those are the things, Those the lack of relationship, The mm -hmm. well, what you said from the very beginning, our mission is not just a mission of showing, teaching the, the doctrines, it's a mission of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And that's very relational, right? right. And I love what, um, the, what um, the author of this, this lesson, they put a quote, from Ellen White, from the Testimonies for the Church at the end that I thought was so powerful because it says, the mission of the Church of Christ is to save perishing sinners. It is to make known the love of God mm. to men and to win them mm. to Christ by the efficacy of that love. Mm. That's beautiful. She doesn't say that the mission of the church is to get them to buy into the 28 fundamental mm. beliefs. And I'm not, this is not me denigrating the fundamental beliefs. I think there's a lot of joy, truth, great practices there, things that can expand our lives and our knowledge of who God is. I, I, do, I do believe all of those things. But at, our, at the core, our mission is to love people the way that Christ mm. loved us and to connect them into a loving relationship mm -hmm. with Christ. And if if we are not doing that, if if we're focusing so much on the teaching of the doctrines that we miss 
showing them the love. I mean, we just studied, studied the book of Ephesians, right? In the book of Ephesians, Paul's whole desire for them is so that, so that they would understand the depth, the width, the breadth of God's love, right? That's what he wanted for them, right? He wanted them to fully experience that love. That's That was his desire. And that, I think, should be our goal mm. for every person that we meet. Mm. That's so well said. My goodness, there is so much to, to sink your teeth into. I think one of the things that we that we need probably to verbalize is that I've I've had the blessing, and I know you have as well, of performing many a baptism. Uh, some of those people are still within our community. Some of those people have found meaningful relationships with Jesus outside of uh, Ad Adventism, outside of the Adventist community, and some of those have been hurt and um, and have stepped away uh, from a relationship with with God. But at that moment, at the moment of baptism. All of them were there because they they wanted to embark on this journey. Mm. And I think in the moment, the failure isn't a doctrinal failure. And the failure isn't a structural failure. The failure is a people failure. Mm. We failed these people because at that moment, they, they were bought in to, to engaging in this lifelong journey of discipleship with Christ. And we failed to create a pathway uh, with enough way markers that were meaningful to them. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about love and the love of Jesus, but we talk about love often uh, in a way in which we don't realize that we are not called to love people in the way that we like to love. We are mm. called people. We are called to love people in the way that they need to be loved, mm. and that's what I find so marvelous about Christ's earthly ministry. Wow. That Christ didn't love people in the way that he wanted to love them. Christ took enough time to actually love people in the way that they needed to be loved. And that's why the relationships that Jesus has with the people that he interacts with throughout the Gospels are so nuanced and so unique. Mm. I really, really fear... Um, and again, this, there's this other elephant in the room. I fear that there is a doubling uh, back with kind of this idea that, yes, we we're absolutely were called to love people, but we're called to love people in a very uniform way. And that, that quite frankly, preoccupies me. I, mm -hmm. I love Adventism. I have the deepest respect for our Adventist leadership, uh, both at the local level and all the way to the general conference level. But I was troubled. I was troubled as I read some of the statements uh, that came out of annual council, statements that said, if you don't read the Bible, and if you don't believe the Bible as we believe it, or as you read it, you should, you should leave the church. Hmm. And I, I think it doesn't take much to understand that what that phrase means is if you don't read the Bible the way I read the Bible, then you need to love, you need to leave the church. And that is to forget that people come to Scripture because there's something in them, in their souls, in their hearts, in their life experience that has drawn them to Scripture. And so what we need to ask is not for you to read the Bible in the same way I read the Bible, what we need to ask is, how is it that this beautiful book has spoken meaningfully mm. and got you to this point of this of a 180 turn in your life where you now want to commit to a life of service, of love, of compassion, of grace, and of mercy? And then how do we continue asking the question, is this meaningful to you? Are you finding meaning in what we're doing? And hmm. if you're not finding meaning, how can we continue stoking uh, that? I think that's what Jesus means by when he says, and hmm. teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Hmm. Um, we like uniform things because they're easily enforceable, but Jesus never moves uniformly. Jesus values hmm. the person. Wow. Jesus values the person. And that, I think, goes at the heart of this, right? 
what you're talking about is contextualizing mm. love. And when we think about it for ourselves, it makes sense, right? I mean, there was a very popular book um, that came out in the 90s about um, the five love languages, mm -hmm. right? And that this idea that love has language, mm -hmm. that different people receive and give love in different ways, some by affirmation, right, quality time, gift giving. He had all of these five five different ways. And um, that was, you know, revolutionary for me because my 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 modus of giving love was always acts of service. Like I do things for people that I care about. That's how I, that's how I, that's my very natural way of showing love to somebody. But um, early on in my relationship with my wife, her modus of receiving love, her language for receiving love was quality time. So as you can imagine, those two things mm. didn't always sync up because I was so busy doing things for her that I didn't have time to spend time with her, right? And so even though I thought I was speaking love to her, I wasn't speaking in a language where she received it as love. And so it took us actually talking about this to mm -hmm. each other to understand, oh, when Joey does this for me, it's his way of showing how much he loves me. And when she's asking for my time, maybe I should stop doing mm -hmm. and actually just spend some time. Mm -hmm. Like it was... It was that conversation like you, you talked about. We had to check in with each other mm -hmm. to understand the ways that we receive love and the ways that we need to receive love. And, um, and that, that's, that is so powerful. And yet we don't always do that when it comes to, um, when it comes to how the church operates. Like we, we have a standard formula with how we will treat mm -hmm. people and say, instead of maybe making a general policy of how we will treat people and how we will show love to them, maybe our general policy, like you said, should be, well, love starts with listening. Mm. So mm. let's listen. Let's listen to the person and understand the ways that they need to receive mm. love and then give them the love that we need. That doesn't mean to always just give in to whatever they want, right? right? Because there are times that, you know, we have grace, love has components of grace and truth, right? Mm -hmm. There are times when what they need won't be what they want, right. right? But unless we take time to understand a person's situation, there's no way that we could possibly give them what they mm -hmm. need because we don't know. We can't know unless we listen. And that contextualizing love, I mean, that's what Paul did, right? He said, to the Jews, I will become like a Jew, like a, to a Gentile, I will become like a Gentile. That's the contextualizing of the gospel message in action. Mm. And I love that. I wonder if those words that Paul has said have lost a little of their bite because we don't live mm. in, in Paul's time. Yeah. Yeah, to the, to the Jew, I became a Jew. To the Gentile, I became a Gentile. To those who are under law, under the law, I became as, as one under the law. Mm. We we say, well, yeah, Paul, great. But I, I don't know if we understand how radical yeah. that is. Um, I don't know. Maybe Paul, if, if Paul were alive, Paul would have said, now to the Palestinian, I became a Palestinian, and to the Israeli, I became an Israeli. Uh, to the Republican, I became a Republican, and to the Democrat, I became a Democrat. To the pro-LGBTQ people, I became pro-LGBTQ. Wow. And to, and to those who are not, I, that's how radical it, yeah, was. it was. And we, we really, really forgotten how radical the love of the gospel is, and that is the mission. And so I think because we've done that, we can say, well, if you don't understand scripture in the same way that I do, or if we, you don't hold to the same tenets of scripture that I do, then you don't belong in the church. Honestly, Joey, I don't think anyone reads scripture because they want to be bad and they want to just burn um faith and the institution and the church down. I think people mm. come to scripture because there is this deep, deep yearning of connecting with something deeper, of finding meaning. And so I think in this time, maybe love is calling us to be every bit as radical as, as Paul is and to say in the Adventist church, mm. at least in this local iteration of the Adventist church, 
we want our tent to be as big as possible. And while we are, will definitely not always agree with you, mm-hmm. we will always try to understand you. Yeah, I think that's powerful. And I understand the fear because the fear is if we're a big tent, what if corruption mm-hmm. seeps into the church? That's, yeah, I understand that. Um, but when I think back, and I'm not a church historian, somebody somebody um, who's watching, maybe if you are, you can, you can feed into this. I'd love to get an email about this. Um, but I can't think of any time, and maybe there are some, where the church became corrupted because they listened too well. Mm-hmm. Like because they were willing to listen and engage in conversation mm-hmm. with people that they disagreed with, that the church was led off stray mm-hmm. into corruption. I, I can't think mm-hmm. of, of times when that happened. I can think of times when the church was unwilling to listen and it created fracturing, it created war, it created violence and death, yeah. right? I ha- I can point to many of those times. And so I'm not saying that this is not a valid thing to, to, to be worry about corruption in the church, but I think erring on the side of listening to people that we may disagree with isn't a bad place to start if we really want to love well, like God says. Yeah, the church, let's just face it, Joey, the church's tendency has never been to be inclusive. I don't remember any time where the church said, hey, we've become too inclusive. Hmm. Uh, I, I do remember, as you saying, a lot of times when the church said, we've become, we're going to become more exclusive, and hmm. that's where we kind of got into problems. I understand. I share your your concern. I do realize that there is a risk. There is a risk in becoming a big tent. Mm-hmm. But love is a risk. Mm-hmm. Transformational, missional, caring, godly love is a risk. And so God risked it all. I think we can risk uh, a little discomfort once in a while. Amen. Won't you pray with us as we close? Let's pray. Our good and gracious God, you risked so much for love, for love for us. You risked death. You risked um, mocking. You risked people and the universe misunderstanding you. You risked us misunderstanding. You risked so much in order to reach out to us. You risked inviting us in even when we weren't ready to be a part of your family. And yet you did it. And so as we, we who are your followers, who who have been called to walk in your footsteps, Lord, help us to have the courage to risk a little, to love a lot. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So dear friend, wherever you are here at Loma Linda University Church, we might not always agree with you, but we will try as best we can to understand and to love you. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.